Now, to make new buildings, uh, an exceedingly common practice is to pull an old building down. Now, that might make sense uh, in all sorts of ways, but does it stack up environmentally? It's at this point that we introduce the concept of embodied carbon. Now, is that an expression that, that rings a bell, I wonder? Uh, it, it's, it's one that is increasingly coming into common use about the built environment and, and the broader environment. And to help us understand what all of this means, Carolyn Pidcock joins us. She is an architect uh, and spokesperson for Architects Declare Australia. That's a collective of architects uh, working to combat climate change in the built environment. Carolyn, welcome. Thank you. This idea of embodied carbon, can you just give us a, a quick primer on that expression? Sure. Look, it, it's sometimes also called upfront carbon. And basically, it's the carbon that goes into making the products, getting them to site, constructing a building, maintaining it while in use, and then um, what happens at the end of life. So instead of just thinking about those materials as just materials, we think about the carbon that's been involved in making them making them and getting them there and looking after them. Can we break that down a little bit, perhaps? I mean, let's take a, a single storage attached Australian home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what might be the, the embodied carbon in a structure like that? Well, you know, it, it varies and it varies considerably. There'll be a lot of carbon probably in the concrete. And if the concrete is, you know, if there, if there is a concrete slab, and that can be beneficial because it can bring thermal mass and really good stabilising for temperature there if it's allowed to, but if you put carpet all over it, you, you lose some of that and you add some more carbon in. Then there'll be carbon in the bricks and sometimes those bricks which go into need to be fired to be made mm -hmm. um, can have a lot of carbon. Sorry, back to the concrete. The concrete produces a lot of carbon in its curing, but there's a lot of work happening at the moment to try and reduce that because there is so much um, need for concrete in the world. The bricks can also have different ways of reducing their carbon, but there's quite a bit if you've got fired bricks. If you've got timber framing or timber roofs or whatever, uh, there's a whole lot less carbon. And in fact, sometimes you can have, you know, timber absorbs a lot of carbon, doesn't take a lot of carbon to cut it down or transform it into usable stuff. And it then it just keeps the carbon away from going up into the air while it's while it's being used as the building and and the more stuff you put into your home the more complicated you make your home like some of those homes with great big cantilevers and lots of concrete that a lot of steel which is high in carbon is needed to support those whereas the simpler sort of homes that um don't don't need so much structure to hold them up or or have lots of the finishes within them, like tiles and carpets and all sorts of things. Everything that you put mm. into your home adds to your embodied carbon. So it's a very variable um, quantity. And look, it's a, it's a whole area that architects and builders have been very haven't been thinking about or calculating in the past, and is something that we all need to develop our literacy on pretty quickly, because as we decarbonize our electricity system the size of the embodied carbon becomes much bigger in relative to a whole building's life cycle. That thing of life cycle is, is so interesting. Uh, can I give you an example of this? Is, this is from the street in which I live in, 
in inner Melbourne. Yeah. And in this street, there was a block of flats, brick, three stories. They would have been built, I would say, in the late 60s, early 70s. They were sold. And the assumption in the street was that, well, that'll get knocked over and we will have a big thing built there <laughs> you know, for, for profit and development. Yeah. That did not happen. And the thing that did happen is that a, a team of, of architects have moved in there and they are top to toe refurbishing that building, maintaining its existing structure, but increasing uh, its, its environmental responsibility, its sustainability. It will be solar powered, it'll be double glazed, it will have all the sort of features that diminish its energy use. And I thought, wow. <laughs> they must be very smart architects because, I mean, if you think about it, all of that embodied carbon is a huge resource. Mm. And the idea of just destroying it and throwing it away is just one of the most wasteful things you can think and about. And yet we do it constantly. We do it constantly, but hopefully not so much anymore. And I think that when you sort of think about, I mean, there are buildings where maybe, sure, there's a whole lot of windows that went in for many years that are really um, not so helpful at the moment. But even if you take them out and you can then recycle the frames, like say if it's aluminium, they can eat aluminium's really easy to recycle, the glass can be recycled, then at least you are sort of preserving in some way some of that uh, that value of it, but just transforming it into another value. But when you've got pretty decent slabs and walls, I think what we need to do is reshape our creative energies into working out how we can make the most of that embodied carbon and make still make beautiful homes, but just they're smarter in that they're using what we've already got. So there's two two things here, aren't there? There's There's what we do with new construction and how we are conscious of the carbon that's going into that new construction. Yeah. The other thing is that, that that thing of do we actually knock the building over or do we take that building and the carbon embedded in it and make something new and refurbished from it? I mean, those two things are really interesting possibilities. And, and I think that there is a responsibility. Like we're in this time where the next seven years up to 2030 is really important in can we reduce carbon dramatically, dramatically in our environment. Antonio Guterres sort of said we are on a highway to hell, climate hell, and we've got our foot firmly on the accelerator. So what does it look like to take our feet off the accelerator and do something really positive with what we have? And I think that this... This is really, really important in the next seven years, or otherwise we're going to hit tipping points that are really hard to escape from. So I, I just sort of think that every single tonne of carbon counts. So rather than finding reasons why not to do this, I think what we need to do is concentrate on finding pathways through to be able to do this and still have great places to live, work, study and play in. There may be instances, of course, where it, it is you know, a, a commercially good idea for developments to take these things into account. But the more common practice is for regulation to force change in that behaviour. Are we, are we seeing that internationally around embodied carbon? Look, we are. Over in the UK, there's a movement that to sort of not demolish any new buildings. I think that what we're also seeing is that carbon accounting is becoming a much bigger thing. And once we start counting carbon and putting a value on that carbon, mm. 
The idea then of pulling down a building, taking and just throwing away and wasting all that carbon and then inputting more carbon to build a new building, I think the stupidity of that will become more evident because for some reason people value dollars more than a lot of other things, but, you know, hell, if it helps whatever us. Whatever works. <laughs> whatever works. And, sure, sometimes it's not super obvious. And, I mean, for example, some people might um, say that the best thing to do is a really highly sealed house with triple glazing and lots of um, air conditioning, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of carbon that can be put into doing that. Mm. And then, so then you've just got to work out for your climate and for your place, what is the right amount of carbon? So there are some really interesting um, calculating tools that are coming onto the market that enable you to do that balance and just to sort of put in a few scenarios of what do I, what happens here and what happens there and um you know, some people are saying, well, just do a really lightweight building and just use renewable energy to keep it comfortable. Um, but that I don't know that that's the right solution. I think you need to create comfortable buildings that don't need energy to stay comfortable, even if that energy is renewable. So there's there's a lot of complex thinking, but I think the more that we think about that and apply our creative intelligence to those dilemmas, the more interesting things will emerge. Yes. And and perhaps too, start to, to reappraise the, the use-by date of a building. Yep. Um, which... You know, I mean, the, the the building practices of recent decades are not perhaps sympathetic to things lasting for a very long time. And so there's a thing to adjust there as well. We yep. should build to last, but also acknowledge, you know, the, 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 the proper working life of a building that exists. And I think also you might not just, it's not a black and white, oh, this building will keep it all and this one we won't keep any of it. It's just sometimes you go and you go, well, parts of this could be used and other parts could be dismantled and those pieces reused somewhere else. And I think that valuing parts of the building and trying to find repurposing for it is is something that we need to work out how to enable people to do that and how to and one of the things might be finding spaces for storing more materials and and documenting it and enabling people to see where they come from there's a great group down in Victoria called Revival Projects and they've just developed an app to do exactly that mm. and um and so so there's some systems that we can develop to help promote to sort of enable that storage of the materials um, and letting people know what materials are there. I mean, one of the other things is that we, uh, I think Robbie, who runs Revival Projects, was telling me once, he said, you know, you architects, it's like you walk into the kitchen, you open up the fridge, you get, look at everything, all the food in there, and you haul it all out and throw it away, go and buy some, get some, get new, some food. new food and make a new meal. <laughs> Whereas really what we should be doing is opening it up, looking at that and going, what can I make from what's here and maybe what do I need to get in to add to it to make it even better? And I think that letting the material palette that is available help shape our designs and our buildings is a really interesting idea. Yes, everything needs to be singing off the off the one sheet, yeah. doesn't it, towards the similar objectives. Yeah. But it, it's an encouraging moment. And I, if I look again at that that project in my street, maybe there's a there's a sweet spot here between the need for increased density. 
and the need to preserve as much as we can because of the, the carbon contained in buildings and that the possibilities of, of refurbishment for meeting both those objectives is a pretty exciting one. Well, also, I bet that that was a whole lot less disruptive for you and the people in your street than knocking it all down and having, you know, great big trucks coming and removing a whole oh, lot of rubble. Oh, there's still trucks. There's still trucks, but not as many, Jonathan, not there as will many. There always be trucks. <laughs> trucks, of course, being another part of the embodied car. When they chain. are electric, that will be exciting. <laughs> uh, Carolyn, thank you. It's, it's all sorts of interesting possibilities in that. Well, I think that's the thing is that it is a creative and exciting future. We've just got to find our creative germs, you know, gender there rather than seeing it as a barrier. Carolyn, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan. Carolyn Pidcock, architect, a spokesperson for Architects Declare Australia. It's a, it's a collective of architects working in this vital cause of combating climate change. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.